So we started a new sermon series last week. Um, it's called Simple. Um, I don't know that I actually announced what the sermon series was called, but it's called Simple. Um, not necessarily after the name of the church, but because some things that we need to recognize and know and love and think about are just simple. They're simple truths that we need to digest and we need to bring into our lives. And sometimes we overlook the simple things. You know how it is. Sometimes we do. The reality is, is that um, one of the simple things that we tend to overlook is our worship. And we've been talking a lot about that. It's been on my heart since Wednesday because God, through his Holy Spirit, just kind of moved and really challenged us in this place with the idea of worship. So I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on that right now. So I want to talk about worship, the simple concept of worship a little bit today. Um, before I do that, though, um, I'm going to talk to you about a person who came to worship and came to worship in spirit and in truth because of what Jesus has said, because of what Jesus said to her. And uh, we're going to talk today about a, a woman who has made some mistakes. I don't know if there's anybody in here that's ever made a mistake. Um, fortunately for you, uh, I have made a lot of mistakes. Therefore, I can talk about a lot of the mistakes that I have made up here in the pulpit. And it, it makes you feel better for whatever reason. In particular, it makes our worship leader, Kayla, feel better when I talk about my mistakes. Um, I don't know why you're clapping right now, Willie, but please stop. Uh, <laughs> so uh, she reminded me of a story that I have not told in a while that she wanted me to tell again because some people like to reconnect uh, with me by looking at the fact that I'm a total screw-up. So apparently uh, that's what you guys enjoy. And uh, you guys may never remember any of the sermons I ever preached, but you'll definitely remember the stories I tell you about how messed up I am. So it's, it's funny how that works. But um, this particular story is about something that happened, I don't even know how long ago. It was a few years ago. Um, I was at Walmart early in the morning. For whatever reason, I go to Walmart early in the morning. Uh, that's where all the freaks hang out in the morning at Walmart. So that's where I am hanging out with them, right? So I had, I had been to Redbox the night before we got a Redbox movie, and, and, and I was taking the Redbox movie back. Well, the Redbox, you know, kiosk things are at the front of Walmart. Well, I walked right by, and I forgot, oh, i got to turn my Redbox movie in. And, in my, and I, I was thinking... Okay, I got my Redbox movie with me in my back pocket. Okay, I'll just turn it in later, okay? So uh, I'm wandering around Walmart, and uh, I go up to the jewelry counter. I don't know why. I was, like, looking at watch bands or something. I don't even know why. I mean, what kind of freak is at Walmart at 6 a.m. looking at watch bands, you know? But anyway, so I'm there, and there, and I notice a guy to the corner of my eye, and he, he I'm like, man, he is he's just kind of close to me. He's too close to me for it to be 6 a.m., and there's... 5,000 square feet around me of nobody, but he's standing, like, right behind me. And he comes up, and, and like, I'm at the jewelry counter, and I'm starting to get a little weirded out because he's right behind me. Okay? So I'm thinking, I've already got in my head that this is odd, right? So, so then he walks off like it's like a ghost, like the Holy Ghost. It just, he just disappears, you know? I turn around, and he's gone. He was there, and then he wasn't. He's like Enoch. He was there, and then he wasn't. But So he was... He was close to me, and then he disappeared, and I turn around, and I reach my back pocket. Oh, no. That Redbox movie is gone. Like, I, in my mind, I figured out why he was so close to me. He, he, he was coming to get my Redbox movie. He saw it hanging out of my back pocket. So he said, you know what I'll do? I'll just sneak up behind him. I'll slip that Redbox movie. And, you know, it's like, like you know, he, he's, he's, he's a, a, you know, a pickpocket. Like, he's got this thing where he can just slip it out of there. I'll never know, you know. No, he ain't going to get me like that. Now, I ain't going down like that. I, I turn around, I notice. So I start looking around for this guy. I'm, I'm running around Walmart.
start looking all over this guy. I finally track him down, and I'm like, I'll watch. What I'll do is I'll watch him, and then I will find out where this Redbox movie is because he'll move it around. He'll switch pockets with it. I'm not even going to act like I'm anywhere around. I'll just hide between the aisles, you know, and watch him from a distance. Why are y'all laughing? I'll just watch from a distance and watch him because he'll end up moving that Redbox movie around somewhere. He'll, he'll take it out of one pocket, shift it, pocket, shift it to the other. Something's going to happen. So I watch him, you know. No, nothing happens. All right, fine. So I stalk him a little more. I'm watching him from a distance. I see him go through the checkout line. Now, surely in the checkout line, he's going he's gonna to get it out of his pocket where his wallet is or he's going to move it around. Sure enough, um, you know, I, he, he doesn't do that. You know, I don't see anything. So I, it ain't going to go down like this. i got to confront him, right? Like, ain't nobody going to steal something from me and me not confront him because I feel like it's my job that, that I, I should call somebody out on their sin. If there's obvious sin in front of me, I should like, hey, we got to deal with this. You know, it's one-on-one. You have sinned against me, therefore I have got to confront you with this. Uh, that is my godly obligation to do that. So I go up to him. I say, hey, man. He's like looking at me like I'm some kind of freak or something. I know he's the freak, though, right? So I look at him. I say, hey, man, look, I know that, that you were by, behind me over there by the jewelry counter, and, uh, and I had a Redbox movie in my back pocket, and now it's not there anymore. Did you take my movie? And he's like, what? I said, I said, man, look, I had a Redbox movie with me. I was coming to return it here at Walmart, and, and it was in my back pocket, and I was over by the jewelry counter, and you came up behind me, and then you disappeared, and the Redbox movie wasn't in my back pocket anymore. He said, man, I ain't got your stuff. He says, you want to search my jacket? What, what do you want to do? Like, I mean, he starts getting offended, right? I'm like, why are you offended? Like, you're the one that stole stuff from me, yet you're the one getting offended. He's, he's like, you want to search me? I said, look, dude, look. Me and you just grown men. I, I don't need to search you. Me, me and you, we, we can, I was like, it's like, you know what? I don't even care about the Redbox movie. I care more about you telling me the truth. So just tell me the truth. Did you take my Redbox movie? He said, man, I ain't got your Redbox movie. I said, fine. Fine. It ain't worth it, you know? Like, we're not going to roll around the dirt out here in front of Walmart. So it's like, fine. Take the Redbox movie. And I go, and I, I'm mad. And like, my face is red as your chair that you're sitting on right now. So I, I'm mad, right? I go, I, I was like, okay, look, i got to calm down. Take a few deep breaths. I get in my car. I sit down in my, in my driver's seat. I'm like, just taking a few deep breaths. Like, i got to pray, and i got to get back focused, you know. And I look immediately to my right over my passenger seat. You already know what's sitting there, right? <laughs> my Redbox movie. Now, you know what is incredible about that story? is I have no idea how that guy broke into my car put that red passenger seat without me ever knowing it. I have no idea how he did that. But I think I think it's through my prayer life the fact that I was I was right in the right place with God, therefore he was able to do that, right? Now it turns out I'm actually a pretty big screw up. That I make some pretty big mistakes sometimes. Even I was even I was confrontational with this guy, you know? Like I was I was gonna like I was up in his face, like, you know, and Hey, this wasn't a small dude either. I mean, like, he was about six inches taller than me. You know, and I, here I am trying to call him out on, on the sin because, you know, if somebody sins against you, go to him one-on-one and, and say, look, you have sinned against me. I need to confront you on this. And I was trying to do that. And it turns out that the sin was not in him, but it was actually in me. And the sin was probably, I don't, I don't know what it was. I don't know if I was having a bad day. I don't know if my mind wasn't in the right place. But, but I immediately thought that this guy had stolen a... DVD out of my back pocket because I thought for sure I had it in there and and like he got mad at me and I was mad at him and 
Turns out I was just stupid, so that's the end of that story, right? Um, I, I make a lot of mistakes, if you don't know. Um, one of the things that the band knows is that I make a lot of mistakes because every once in a while, Joey will have my microphone playing through their ears. So as they're trying to sing the song in tune, what they get to hear is me incredibly out of tune singing the same song. Every now and then, I'm even more fortunate than that, that sometimes it will actually come through the house PA and all of you get to hear my voice singing these songs and, and that is why that, that there's tears rolling down your face. It's not because the Holy Spirit of God is moving. It's because you can't stand the sound that you're hearing. And that is my voice as I sing these songs. So I'm telling you that uh, I, I say all this to say that look, we all got issues. And, and, and uh, if you're here and you're like, you know what, my life is all straightened out and I'm good to go and you're probably in the wrong place because this is a church full of imperfect people that need a perfect savior. One of the misconceptions about church is that you, you know, you got to get your life all straightened out and then you go to church, right? You got to get everything worked out and you got to live a certain way and do this, do that, and then you go to church. Well, that's not the way that it works. See, the way that it works is you, you come to Jesus in your imperfect state and you say, I'm imperfect and I've got some real problems and you just be honest with Jesus. When you bring truth to Jesus, Jesus brings truth to you and and that's one of the things that, that I think that has gotten out of whack about church, you know. I, I think that a lot of people think that they got to get everything straightened out and then they come to church. I, I want you to come to where Jesus is, where you can hear about Jesus. And, and if you come in here and you don't know everything there is to know about Jesus or you're trying to figure salvation out or what that really looks like. Or, you know, I went to the church where, uh, church where they didn't really understand what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. And you come in here, it's like, I'm just trying to figure it out. Well, praise God, you're just trying to figure it out. Because you're around a lot of other people who are just trying to figure it out. I, I, I'm not a Bible scholar. I can tell you that right now. I took one seminary class and failed it. I, 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 I'm not a Bible scholar. You know what? I'm, I'm just a guy trying to figure it out just like you. So I read it and I follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And we try to do some things to serve, to serve Jesus. And that's, that's who this is. That's, it turns out that that's a church. I didn't, I didn't know that. But it's just a bunch of people who want to get together and worship Jesus and serve Jesus and Talk about his word. It turns out that that's the church. So that's why we're here. That's how a simple church came to be is because we're just a bunch of people who came together and said, man, we just want to worship Jesus together and do some things. We feel like if we get our money together that we can, you know, we can, we can reach people. And, and that's why we became a church is because we felt like, you know, we just need to do some simple things that God's called us to do. They're not easy things, but they are simple. And let's just do those things together. Turns out that's called a church. So we're going to read about a lady today that was imperfect. And you've heard this story many times, and that's okay. That's okay. The good news about God's Word is every time you read it, because it's alive and because it's breathing, it speaks new life into you every time you read it. It does not return void, meaning that, that there's, it doesn't do nothing. When God's Word goes out, it does something. So here, today, we're going to read about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. That's what we're going to be talking about. You guys have heard the, heard every preacher in the world preach this, this message and and I've preached it before, I don't know how many times. Um, I don't typically like to repeat myself, but sometimes you've got to repeat yourself. Sometimes you've got to tell stupid stories about yourself more than one time so people understand how stupid you are. And today we're going to be talking about in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. So I'm going to kind of go through kind of fast at times and then kind of slow at times and then talk some and then we're going to just read. So bear with me if it seems like I'm going kind of fast. Um, it's just because... 
we kind of got to get to the core of the issue and what I really want to focus on today. It's not so much that this woman uh, has some issues. We're going to talk about what Jesus kind of says at the end about worship. So bear with me for just a minute. In John chapter 4, it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees that heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than, than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samarian village of Sychar near the field of Jacob, uh, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jo Jacob's well was there. Jesus, uh, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to drink water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So Jesus is here at the Jacob's well. And, and, and he, he's there at noontime, which is not typical for people to be out at the well at noontime. They typically came to the well in the morning or the evening when it was cooler. And that's when they draw from the well so that they would have water in the morning and in the evening or for all day and in the evening. And uh, here he is. He finds a woman, and this woman comes up to him. She's a Samaritan woman. Jews didn't like Samaritans. We know that. We've talked about that a million times in here, too, that the Samaritans were kind of considered to be half-breeds. It was people that, that they, uh, the Jewish people who God had said, you know what? You need to keep your culture pure. You need to keep your nationality pure. Uh, you don't need to intermix with other nations because if you do that, it will pollute the truth. It will pollute um, the reality of what I have taught you and you being my chosen people, I've given you truth. It is going to pollute that if you intermarry with these other nations. Well, that happened and the Samaritans were some of these half-breeds that intermarried with Jews and, and they had kids and then their kids had kids and that's what the Samaritans were. So Jews didn't like Samaritans. They looked down on them. They were like a lesser people to the Jews. So this, Jesus is interacting with this Samaritan woman at noontime when nobody else should be at the well and Jesus is there. His disciples are gone. And Jesus just starts talking to this lady. Um, I, I need to interject here for just a second. You know how you talk to people about the truth of God, the truth of his word? You know how you start by sharing the gospel with somebody, which is something that, you know, we, we talk about, um, you know, sharing the gospel with people all the time. We talk about evangelism all the time. And, and some people are like, I don't know how to do that. Well, my answer to you is this. You've got to start talking first. Don't worry about how many verses of Scripture you have memorized. You start talking first, and you start talking to the person and finding out who the person is. That's how you start a gospel presentation, as a lot of people like to call it. Um, I think there's, there's times when it's good to just confront people with the gospel, but I think that's a pretty rare occasion. I think more, more often than not, it's important to just talk to somebody first, to just find out who they are, what they're struggling with, what they're going through, and then you work the truth into the conversation, which is the gospel into the conversation, and Jesus into the conversation. And Jesus just starts a conversation with this lady and says, please give me something to drink. Which is shocking to this lady that Jesus, a Jew, would even ask a Samaritan for a drink. It says in verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So here, he's just having a conversation with her. She's like, something's weird about you, man, because you're having a conversation with me. I'm a Samaritan woman, woman, and you're a man, and I'm a, a Samaritan. You're a Jew, and here you are talking to me. And even on top of that, you're asking me for something to drink. You're asking something for me, a Samaritan person. Uh, if this was any other Jew, they would have looked and said, you know what? What you have is contaminated. What you have is awful. I don't want any of that. You keep 
your own stuff. I don't care if that means I'm going to thirst to death. I don't want anything that comes from a Samaritan. But Jesus doesn't do that, right? He just says, hey, can I, can I have something to drink? And she's like, this is odd, man. Who is this person? Who is this person? And Jesus begins right here talking about the gift of God. If you, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. He said, if you only knew, I mean, imagine having a conversation with somebody and saying, if you only understood the amazing gift God has for you. If your eyes were open and you could see perfectly, you could see everything all at the same time, and you, you could see exactly what was going on here, you'd be blown away. And you'd be asking me for this gift that you're talking about. So you'd be asking me for living water. He says, but you can't see. You, you, you can't see right now. He challenges her in just this amazing statement of if you could only see this amazing gift that God has for you, if you could just see it. One of the ways that I talk to people about Jesus, I say, man, I wish, I wish you could understand, I wish you could see what I have seen over the years. Uh, many times uh, when I'm interacting with people, um, I don't like to tell them I'm a pastor. If you've ever been around me in, in, in a public situation and people start introducing themselves, I'm like, hey, I'm Kenny. You know, and, and we'll be with other people, maybe from this church, and and I never say, hey, I'm the pastor of these people. I'm the pastor of Simple Church. Um, I, I, I never do that. I mean, there have been a few rare occasions where I would because it was fitting to the conversation, but I, I don't introduce myself that way. Because you know what I am more than I am a pastor? I'm just a Christian. I'm just a follower of Jesus, and now I, I'm messed up, yes, but I try my best to follow Jesus in the best way I know how. And I talk about Jesus to people. So whether I'm a pastor or not doesn't really matter. As soon as I say I'm a pastor, you know, they go from like this to like, oh, hello. It is very nice to meet you. It's like all of a sudden they got to put their, their Christian face on because they hear I'm a pastor. I'm like, me being a pastor ain't got nothing to do with it, man. Uh, oh, I, sorry. There's so many people that are pastors of churches that exalt themselves to whether they, to the point where they identify more as a pastor than they do as a Christian. You know that I'm telling the truth. And that drives me nuts. I, I identify as a Christian first, then as a pastor way on down the line beyond that. Because as a Christian first, I am obligated to tell people truth. And if you are a Christian, you are obligated to tell people truth also because you have the truth that dwells within you. So the fact that I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I have more truth than you do. It doesn't mean that I'm more obligated to share the truth than you do. You're just as obligated to share the truth as I am because we're both Christians. It bothers me. It bothers me when people... Either do one of the one of two things. Either they look too lowly at themselves or they look too highly at me. It bothers me. I, I, I'm, I'm just like you guys. God has called me up here 
to share his word, to share his truth with you. God gives me things. He puts them on my heart and on my mind, and I share them with you. That's no different than you. God puts things on your heart and your mind, too. God challenges you to do stuff many times, and, and, and you have an opportunity to do them just like I do. There's nothing super special about me. I'm just a Christian like you. And here, he's talking to this lady. And he's talking to her about the gift of God. It isn't until much later on that Jesus kind of reveals himself. Because that's not the heart of the matter here. The heart of the matter is this lady and living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And, and this well is very deep. Where, where are you going to get living water? Besides, do you... Besides... Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Like, you're, you, you didn't just say water. You said living water. And like, Jacob set up this well for us. Man, that's, that's a good thing. But you're saying that you're, you can give something better than that. What are you talking about? And they're just having a conversation about water. Um, well, I'll just go on here. I'll try to stop interjecting every time I say something. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Never thirst. They will never thirst again if they drink this living water. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. So she's, she starts asking Jesus, okay, I'm starting to see a little bit of what you're talking about here. And, and you're talking about this water that's amazing. And it, it's ne I'm never going to be thirsty again. I need, I need that. I need something that's going to make me like that. I, I need you to give me something that's going to make me never thirsty again. And... and so Jesus has to start dealing with her heart. If she's really going to have water that, that bubbles up to eternity, that, that never dies, and she's never thirsty again, that she can always drink from and always be filled, like he's got to address an issue in her heart first. Whenever you're talking to somebody about Jesus, if, if they don't address a heart issue, if they don't address their, their, the condition that they're in, the state that they're in in their heart, there will be no repentance. If there is no repentance, there is no salvation. Repentance is a turning away. It is a, is a renewed heart. It is a shift in, in what you were to who you are. And you cannot do that. I mean, that, that's what drives me crazy about so many people that, that just want to say, this is the good news of heaven. This is what you need. I mean, nobody's going to say, no, I don't want heaven. No, thank you. I don't, I don't want to spend eternity with God. No, thanks. I don't want that. But when you tell them, you know what you got to do. You got to understand who you are and the fact that you are wretched before God. You have nothing good inside of you. you all you do is sin. That is the only thing that comes out of your life right now is sin. There is nothing good inside you. When you start to say that kind of stuff, people go, yeah, I'm not sure I'm buying that. Because I feel like I'm a pretty good person. I feel like my heart's in pretty good shape. If if you're in that position, if you're in that position where you feel like, you know what, 
I'm in pretty good shape on my own. I don't really have all this sin that you keep talking about. Then that means that you don't need a Savior. Sometimes you come out of this church and you feel bad. You're not feeling bad because I made you feel bad. You're feeling bad because God has shown you something that you need to feel bad about. I don't have the power to make you feel bad. All I have, all I have the ability to do is tell you what God says, and then His Holy Spirit is the one that directs you and guides you and impresses things upon your heart. So Jesus starts this conversation with this lady. She says, Go get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, You're right. You don't have a husband, for you have five husbands, and, the, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with. Now, you certainly spoke the truth. So he starts talking about the truth. She says, I don't have a husband. He's like, You're right. You're right. And he starts to talk to her about her truth, what's going on in her life. Now, when you start to talk to somebody about Jesus, when you start to give them the simple truth, I believe that this is what happens in their life. When, when they start to really respond to God, what happens is God starts speaking truth into their life, and they start to see themselves for who they really are. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus, the Son of God, is starting to talk to a lady about the truth, and she is starting to see the truth, and she's starting to see herself for who she really is. He says, you got five husbands, the one you're with right now, and even yours. Jesus knew that before he ever got to the well. Jesus knew who he would encounter that day. He knew how she felt in her heart. He knew the fact that she was thirsty. He knew all of that. He knew every single thing about all of her past. He knew that. And yet Jesus was at the well waiting on her to get there that day. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place to worship? Okay. She starts talking about worship all of a sudden. Well, we Samaritans claim it is on Mount Gerizim. Where are where our ancestors worshipped? So immediately this woman recognizes that there's something special about this man. God starts to speak truth into her life and she starts to talk about worship. Because she, starts, she knows something about the Jews. The Jews have a history. And the Jews worship this one true God. And here's a man who worships, worships the one true God, obviously. And all of a sudden, he's able to tell her things that nobody else could tell her about herself. Things that she had hidden away and tucked in a closet. Those kinds of things. that He'd never met her before, and he was able to tell her these kinds of things. So, so she starts wondering about worship. I, I want to do whatever it is that you do. I want to go where you go to worship. I want to understand what it means to really worship the way you worship. And she says, we go to Mount Gerizim. That's where our ancestors worship. You guys go to Jerusalem. That's where the Jews go. So she immediately changes the subject from talking about her sin. Now, maybe she's trying to gloss over the fact that we're talking about her sin, and she's talking about, she starts to talk about worship. Maybe she's trying to continue to hide that fact with think that if you look carefully at the situation she can't hide that from this man that just told her everything about her life so she's like okay let's get past that let's talk about worship so the Samaritans they worshipped all kinds of false gods and they did all kinds of crazy stuff and they fall out into these crazy shaking things and they would 
you know, all in a frenzy, an emotional frenzy. That's the way that the Samaritans worship. They got up on Mount Gerizim and they would, you know, go nuts and, and they're shaking and doing all kinds of crazy theatrical stuff. And that was the way that they worshiped, right? Well, they're not worshiping the true God, right? They're just, they're basically worshiping themselves if they're not worshiping the one true God. They're worshiping a God that they invented. So they're getting into this emotional frenzy that's not of God. It's just them being in an emotional frenzy. Which, by the way, people still do today. They say that it's of God, but really it's just their emotional frenzy. It's got really nothing to do with God because they don't have truth in the center of their worship. So that's what we get to right here. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when you no longer, it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we chose, Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed that here and now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him, him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus says, okay, you want to talk about worship? I'll tell you about worship. He says, you Samaritans don't know your God. He's not a real God, so you can't know him. He's just in a God you invented up in your minds. So you don't have any truth in your worship. You got a lot of spirit in your worship. You go into this emotional frenzy and you do all this stuff and all this, this crazy stuff. You got, the, you got the, the one part of it, but you don't have truth. So anything apart from truth is just something that you manufactured, right? He says, but, but the Jews, they know that salvation comes through them. So they, they know the truth and they know this God that they're worshiping, but they don't have the spirit. They're missing the spirit. Now, does this mean that the Jews are supposed to go into the same emotional frenzy because they got the truth, therefore they need the spirit in that way? No, no, no. Understand me. The way say when we say worship them in worship him in spirit, that means to worship him in connection with his spirit, in connection with his Holy Spirit. When, when, when we worship him in this place, we should be recognizing that the Holy Spirit of God is in our presence. And our desire is to listen to the Holy Spirit of God, to follow the Holy Spirit of God, and to respond to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, one of the things that the Spirit of God does in my life sometimes is that He'll challenge me that I need to, to do something. He'll challenge me that maybe I need to go stand by somebody. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe God would challenge me to go pray with somebody. Maybe God would challenge me to go and fall down on my face and, and, and pray to Him and repent of sin or whatever. But I will say this. I will say this. When you worship uh, in spirit and in truth, when you're connected with the Holy Spirit of God, you know who the focus is on when that happens? The focus is on Him. The focus is not on you. If you do things in your, in, in your worship where the focus is on you, you're doing it the wrong way. The focus is supposed to be on Him. When, when, God looks, when, when people look at you, they shouldn't see you. They should see God in you. It shouldn't be about you. That's what it means to really worship in spirit and in truth. God challenges me sometimes. I mean, there have been times when I just have to go outside. 
you know? Because I need to connect with him and I need to get by myself. There, there are going to be times in your life as you're really worshiping in spirit and in truth, God's going to challenge you to do some very strange things. But just remember that, that when God really is challenging you to do some things, the focus is on to be, supposed to be on him and not on you. If you're doing things that put the focus on you, then you're not worshiping him. You're worshiping yourself. And he says, Jesus says this one, look, the time is coming when you'll not go to Jerusalem and you won't, we won't worship up here on Mount Gerizim. That you'll worship in your own heart. That that's where real worship will happen. That, that, that wherever you are, if you've got the Spirit with you, that's where you'll worship. That's why we as Christians, we don't, we don't go to Jerusalem to worship. We can do that here. That's why, that's why we don't care so much about what you wear in here. That's why we don't care if you wear blue jeans or your flip-flops. I don't care if you wear your house shoes or your house coat. I really don't care. The whole purpose is so that you worship. That you will be comfortable in here, worshiping in here, and you will take that out here, and you will worship in your home the same way you worship while you're in here. That you don't have to dress a certain way to worship at your house. That you can just worship Him wherever you are. You don't have to dress, dress a certain way to worship Him in your car. It's just where you are. That there's not supposed to be any difference between worshiping in, in here and on your way to Birmingham or Atlanta. There's not supposed to be any difference. That the worship happens wherever you are, and the worship happens in spirit and in truth. When you just connect with God, you believe His truth, and you just listen to Him, and you be in awe of Him. That's what real worship is about. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called the Christ. He comes, he will explain everything to us. She said, I'm waiting on this Messiah. She's I'm waiting on the Savior. When he comes, he'll tell us the truth. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. If you're looking for an explanation, I don't have the explanation. I am the explanation. Some of us have worshipped incorrectly. Some of us have felt like we are unworthy to even worship God. There have been times when maybe we felt like we weren't even worthy to come into the house of God to worship Him. This lady was just a seeker. It was messed up in a thousand different ways. And Jesus knew all about it. She starts talking to him about worship. And he starts talking to her about truth. And then truth and worship. And that's what this is about. I've been some places where I have seen worship that wasn't focused on God. That it was worship that was focused on people. And that bothered me deeply. I think that genuine worship, real worship to the one true God, is exactly what Jesus described here. It, it, it's where, and if you think about this, if they're worshiping wherever they are physically located, if you're worshiping in your car, if you're worshiping at your house when nobody else is looking, if you're worshiping on your face before God when you're down on that piece of carpet in front of your bed, that's 
the real worship. That's the real worship. So do you worship in those places the same way you worship in here? Because if it's not the same, then you're not worshiping in truth. You're not worshiping connected with His Holy Spirit. And the worship is about you and not about Him. I've seen people do some crazy things in worship. And I, I wonder, I was like, would they do those same crazy things in worship if they were all alone by themselves, sitting on their couch? Because worship happens wherever you are. Worship should be no different in here than it is at your house. Worship should be no different in here than it is in front of your family or when you pray over a meal. Worship should be no different. Tell us in your word, this is kind of the kind of worshiper that God seeks. God, may we be 